This is Lunch with Legends. Lunch with Legends. Brought to you by ASE Media and Thinkslinger.org. And by World Financial Group, Athena Financial, and Kangen Water. And now the host of Lunch with Legends, Lou Stowers. Thanks, Big Game Jimmy Flame, and welcome to another edition of Lunch with Legends. And we are in uh, Lakewood, California, at Glory Days, a sports bar and grill. And uh, it's right on Carson and Woodruff Woodruff. here in Lakewood. And not too far away from where our very special guest today, Dave Frost, grew up. He went to Millican High School. So Millican High over there, Lakewood High over there. We're right in between somewhere. Big rivalries. Absolutely. And so did you grow up? Was your childhood house uh, somewhere around here? Yeah, I grew up over by La Celtic Shopping Center, Bellflower and Stearns, for people who are local, you know, yeah. so, yeah, not too far from here. That was a great place. Man, when the Sears was there, that was that was the place to go. That's right. Yeah. That was the place on the east side where it was just getting started. But now, uh, Glory Days is the place to go. Look at this beautiful setup that uh, we've got here. This is Burger Bash Thursday, right? You can't get a better burger for the money than the one you get here on Thursday. That's right. Try it's, it, it's five dollars for the burger, but then the fries are like twelve. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a major discount. <laughs> right. No, it's it's it, it's a great deal yeah. and a great burger too. But we just wanted to show this off to you, to show you, and want to thank uh, Coach T, Art Tavazon, and his crew here at Glory Days here in Lakewood to uh, uh, allow us to play in a sandbox and. Right. Uh, so Dave Frost, it is good to see you, All right. and I've been food. an admirer of yours for, for years, and um, the Lunch with Legends, we just want to uh, bring you the people that uh, we all grew up with and uh, admired, and, and I, I was had the opportunity to cover Dave a little bit in his career, and uh, uh, what a what a career he had, especially with the California Angels, uh, four years with them, right? Right. Out of your six years, right? And uh, so, I just got to ask, what was it like coming home from Chicago? Well, it was—you couldn't ask for more than to play with the play the town where you grew up. I I remember I was sitting home in the off season and I was having breakfast and. Distinctly remember, I had an orange juice, and my mom, I was at the family house, she said, do a phone call for you. And it was Tracy Ringlesby, the reporter for the Press Telegram here in town, and he said, Well, Dave, how do you like being the newest angel? And this is how I found out I'd been traded to the angels at breakfast at home. I just about lost it. I said, you kidding me? Yeah, I couldn't ask for anything more than to play for the Angels. It was great. And that was a pretty big trade because uh, uh, Bobby Bonds left from the Angels. And Thad Bosley, who was a very popular young outfielder, or a utility guy. And Richard Dodson. And they in return got uh, Brian Downing, Chris Knapp, and me, the AAA pitcher. You know, wasn't even in the big leagues. And I remember uh, listening to a talk show after that trade had occurred because it was not very popular with Angel fans and this one guy called up and he was irate and he said you know what this trade is ridiculous you know Brian Downing's eyes hurt and Chris Knapp hasn't done much and who's this Frost guy 
He's not even worth Bobby Bond's toenails. Not even worth. I had to pull out to the side of the road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, too funny. Well, if that was the old angel talk, then can't be seen with uh, Bob Rowe. That's probably what it was. Yeah. And uh, you remember old Bob Rowe, oh, sure. Doctor yeah. Doctor yeah. Angel Fever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were the, that was one of the grumpiest talk shows, or at least the, the callers, uh-huh. ever, oh, yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah, and well, that certainly was one of them, the guy who called that day. <laughs> yeah, but I was okay with it. But you showed them, right? That's right. In the end, I, I did better than that guy anticipated. I know that's that. right. That's yeah. right. I just remember seeing you on the mound and had a very stoic look. I mean, it's nice. It's great. To, I'm, I'm thrilled that you have a great smile. Yeah, you never saw her tomorrow. No, no. It's like yeah, that big Fu Manchu mustache and the hair coming out from yeah. under the hat, yeah. and just this big hulking figure on the mound. I mean, the mound added what another another 12, 14 inches. Yeah, it got you up there to your six six frame. Yeah, and um, so it's, yeah, I can just see a, a guy walking up to the plate and seeing those blue eyes coming down, staring down at you with with this grimace. It's like that's more what it was. It was a grimace or a squint if it was sunny. <laughs> then I think I looked even worse. It was really scary. But uh, no, you know, you know, I played basketball too a lot all the way through college. And you know, basketball is more of a free-flowing, rhythmic, emotional game where you can enjoy the moment and you just run back and forth. And, you know, but when you're pitching in a baseball game, it's so serious. You just get into the zone and you don't. You don't get up, you don't get down, you don't smile, you don't frown, you just pitch, you know, and try to get the job done. So, do you get into a, a, such a zone that you don't even hear what's going on around you? Kind of. You know, there was a movie with Kevin Costner called For the Love of the Game, and they showed that in the movie, where he went out to the mound and he heard all the noise and everything, and right before he was supposed to actually pitch, he, uh, he looked at some spot out in left field, and it was like a, a click in his head. You know, on the TV, you saw the sound get kind of quiet and everything got kind of blurry. And it was just him and the hitter and the catcher in a little tunnel. And I said, that's it. That's what happens out there. You just suddenly, it all goes away. And you're just focused on that one thing. And that, I was just thinking that when, when, when I was bringing that up. Yeah. And, and especially uh, uh, with you being in the 1979 Angels, right. which was the uh, the first championship. Uh, well, yes, we can here. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, one of my friends got kicked out of the game when uh, it was late in the season and he brought out a, a broom and swept on uh, uh, the visitor's dugout. Oh, brother. That's good, though. I think that was... Now, you guys beat the Royals that year to win. Right. They were, I think, yeah, they were the second place team. Okay. And, boy, what a what a roster. What a uh, roster that was. It was. Have, uh, Baylor, the, the MVP of the American yeah. League. And, um, well, we had... We had Carew, we had Bobby Gritch, we had Rick Burleson, we had Carney Lansford, Baylor, Rick Miller, and Dan Ford, and, um, you know, and, and good pitchers, you know, or decent pitchers. Um, Tanana got hurt for most of the year, so we kind of scrambled a little bit, but we were also one of the last teams that had a four-man rotation for about two months. Really? Yeah, I don't know. After that, it seemed like there were very few more four-man rotations for pitchers that went to the five-man, so that's kind of cool to be, in my 
guidelines to remember us is that. I get to pitch a lot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's okay because you guys yeah. went a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, went, to the, went to the eighth inning before you handed it off to the closer, right? Oh, I would say absolutely a lot. I would say Nolan Ryan threw at least 150 pitches half the time he threw. Because he threw so many strikes and foul balls that they just added up. And the next thing you know, he'd be at 100, then he'd be at 150 if he won nine innings. Wow. It's incredible. And didn't he go like 11 or 12 innings and lost like one to nothing or something? Uh, he may have, but that's, that's not sticking in my head. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. He might have done it some other year or he might have yeah. done it in New York or, or anywhere he played. It's very possible. Yeah. yeah. Now, how could you not learn from being in, in the bullpen or being with the pitchers like that, what did you learn from Nolan? Well, when I well, people ask me what's your what was your biggest throw in baseball, and sometimes I tell them well, it was standing next to the batter's box in the bullpen watching him warm up his last ten pitches, just to see him where he threw the ball and how much his curveball moved and his changeup. And I just stand there and say, how did anybody hit this guy? But you really couldn't, you, you know, you don't learn too much from a guy who's that good because he's in the class by himself. I had to learn to pitch with a 90 mile an hour fastball, you know, and an you know, average slider. And I just learned it was all about control and knowing how to, how to pitch to the hitters based on the scouting reports. And if you were able to do that, hit your spots and, hit, and pitch accordingly to the hitter as they've been scouted, you, you usually do okay. Now, is he like some of these guys that, um, that are so good, the superstars are so good, everything just, they, they fall out of bed throwing 100 miles an hour. Was he that good that he really didn't have anything to offer? Well, I think in some ways, you know, when you throw 100 miles an hour, I don't know, you can't teach anybody else how to do that. It's like teaching somebody how to run fast. You, just, you can't. But he was throwing that with that speed um, when he was a kid, you know, and uh, with the Mets, he just couldn't get it over the plate. He was still a little wild at times with the Angels. But no, his stuff was so fabulous. He didn't do anything too different. He just did it better. You know, he had a tremendous wind-up and a tremendous follow-through. But there were guys that played within the minors that had great windups and couldn't get out of double A. Yeah. So, you know, when you have a gift like that, it's hard to, uh, to to teach somebody else how to do it. Otherwise, other people would be doing it. Yeah, no, no yeah. kidding. What, what, what was his changing point or the, 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 the thing that turned his game around? Because when he came to the Angels, when he was traded uh, for Jim Fergosi, right, right. Um, he was still a scary guy in the batter's spot or yeah. to, to hit against. Well, I think I think by the time I got there in 77, I, I don't know when he got there, but he definitely transitioned from a wild, wild pitcher like he was with the Mets to, you know, he had decent control when I, when I played with him. So I don't know what he did to figure it out, but um, he did something because his control, although not perfect, was way better than it had been earlier in his career. Yeah, that magical, magical year, 1979. Um, uh, what a great race that was with the Kansas City Royals. Uh, that team had been together for many years, and here you guys are the upstart team and kind of kicked them off the top of the hill. Yeah, for one year anyway. Um, <laughs> no, we just came out of the blue. Nobody expected us to do anything. and. Uh, but we had a lot of guys who had their best years of their career, you know, and Dan Ford, you know, Baylor had a tremendous year, and Richie, and 
You know, uh, a guy named John Montague came in from uh, Toronto as a, as a reliever in a trade, and he was no big deal when he, when he was with yeah when he was with with uh, Toronto I think or Montreal I don't remember him being a big deal, but when he came to our team suddenly he was saving all the games with Mark Clear. Uh, we just had a lot of guys who kind of came out of nowhere or had better years than they ever had before. So it was it was incredible. It was really cool that way. Nobody expected it. That's when it's the most fun when you're an upstart underdog and you come out of nowhere. That, that was great. Yeah, and, and, and sell the Baltimore Orioles, right? Like, oh yeah, I don't want to talk about them. Oh, geez. yeah. This, all, the, all the hitters had to do was face a Hall of Fame uh, a pitching staff. So yeah, yeah. That's all. But yeah, um, uh, yeah the. There was one game um, that I brought some friends of mine from Switzerland to. And we got there bottom of the first inning, Angels and the Royals, the big A. And Paul Splitterf was on the mound. And we were just getting to our seats after we got our beverages and, and, and hot dogs and introducing these Swiss people to American hot dogs from Bratwursts. Yeah. And, um, the bases are loaded. Don Baylor hits a moonshot that just barely, I mean, it was so high. It was higher than it was long. Okay. And it was a grand slam home run. The oh, place man. goes nuts. Yeah. And these people from Switzerland are looking around like, what happened? Yeah. All the guy yeah. did was hit it over that wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. That's funny when you try and explain baseball to foreigners. Uh, I used to be on the Speakers Bureau years ago, and one time I had to talk to a bunch of people from Denmark or someplace that they didn't know anything about baseball. And, and uh, I was trying to explain certain things, and I I said something about if you, when you get four balls, you, you get to go to first. And he goes, some guy said, well, when you get eight, do you go to second? <laughs> I, said, well, I didn't even know how to answer sense. that. Yeah. yeah, good question. Yeah, yeah we'll bring it up at the yeah, next yeah, winter meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right, let's talk about that. Put it in the rule book. The way they're changing rules now, they just yeah, might. They could. Yeah. So, what do you think about all these rule changes and all that? Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, it, it's in every sport. You know, it's just everything has become more technical. Technology improves, and that technology, you know, comes back into the game itself and just kind of just inserts itself wherever it has an opportunity to. You know, and if they think it's going to make the game more fair. You know, they'll put it in there. But but in terms of statistics, my God, they got a statistic for everything. I was reading every guy had a statistic about, you know, three games ago he uh, you know, he, he had a double play ball with a with a guy that didn't run very fast, you know. Or something. On a Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't it just wasn't I said, Well that doesn't really matter. You know, it's like if that's the best they can do, you don't want to put anything up there. Yeah, some of the stuff. Yeah, I don't know what a whip is still. Yeah, don't even ask me. I've been, I've been away too long. You know. But remember when Ross Porter was was broadcasting sure. for the Dodgers? Absolutely. He would bring in all the stats. Right. He started that. Okay, that, and, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't Mr. Statman. And everybody hated it. I yeah. mean, you either hated it or you loved it. Yeah. But now with fantasy baseball, fantasy sports, everybody loves that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's so he was everybody, for his everybody time. in the fantasy baseball loves it, but. Yeah, I just think stats are fine, but the, you know, there, there's just too many of them. Right there. That's just me. Now, what about these hitters that uh, show off, bat flips, and all that stuff? Would that have worked in, in uh, your day? No, it wouldn't have. No. 
it wouldn't have worked and nobody did it because it wouldn't have worked, you know? And uh, it didn't take much to get a picture riled, but, you know, even Gee, doing far less why. than that, you know, to get a guy mad. But uh, it's the same in all the sports. Every sport got more like that, you know? Look at me, you know, it's all about look at me. It's not a team thing as much when guys are doing that. And it's more about an individual celebrating his own particular glory at the moment, which yeah. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's what it is. You know? Yeah, and what about the rosin check or what they're checking now because of the you know, sliders? I, I, you know, putting that stuff on the ball or whatever they did, I, I don't know. You know, we used to have guys throw spitballs and cut balls, Don Sutton, you know, with they talked about him, Gaylord Curry. They remember filming Nico in the yeah. old video where they got him going like, what did I do? And when he's doing, what did I, I do? He's throwing, like, throwing, a, throwing a file out of his that hand. That you know? coming out of his goes, right there, you know, I see that on the ground. <laughs> that was funny, but that, that's never changed. I didn't like the thing with the Houston with the trash cans and the videos. That, that was more, uh, that was too much. That was over the top shooting right there. Yeah, but everybody's going to try to get yeah. something on yeah. something on you. Yeah, and, and you that's know, part of stealing the signs and you know little stuff. You know, I mean, I don't know about doctoring the balls. Some people say you shouldn't do it at all. But I guess as soon as they cut back on this recent problem, the batting average just started to shoot up pretty fast. Right. Yeah. So Shohei started to hit the ball farther. And yeah. Like two iron shot. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about Shohei? You played before the designated hitter? No, no. No, you were yeah, in the, okay. Fortunately, I never had to hit, so. <laughs> but uh, what do you think about this kid? I mean, he's just like a once-in-a-century guy. Yeah, I mean, what's the last guy who did what he did was Babe Ruth, I think. And he's know? doing it better than Ruth. Probably. And uh, it's truly remarkable. I mean, I don't even know what to say. There's no comparison except maybe like Ruth. I mean, there's guys who come out of college that are good hitters and good pitchers, but they always put them in one position or another, and they don't let them do both. And the guy's just, you know, he's got a great build, he's a great athlete, and uh, I don't know, there's, what can you say about him? He's just tremendous. Oh, yeah. it's uh, the, the home runs that he's been hitting lately, they're, the arc is not like a, a beautiful moonshot, where if you're a broadcaster, you can call it by by how the arc goes yeah, yeah. now it's like it's gone yeah <laughs> swing it's gone yeah. can't do Just, the little build up no you can't well I think into the anaheim sky I, Back goes I, I, the question for me is uh when's the last time a team had two possibly the two best players in baseball on the same team yeah but right now With it's trout like who and and Ohio, yeah trout like yeah we forgot about him but he's still there these guys are both in the angels pretty amazing yeah. yeah, so they should be able to do something with that. So the, the, the chemistry with this lineup now yeah. is not bad. No. So what do you do when Trout comes back? Don't worry, they'll find a way. You know, <laughs> they, they, they'll, they'll do, there'll, there'll be an opportunity for him. Their team will be better when Trout's back, no question oh, about it. Oh, absolutely. So I, I don't know when is that, another two or three weeks? I'm not even sure. But yeah. You know, they're, they're doing pretty good right now, and if they could stay close and get both those guys and pitching comes together a little bit, you know, you never know what might happen. Right, yeah. yeah. So the way that the, some of the relief pitchers have been throwing, uh, do you have any eligibility left? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I wish I could go out. You never think you're done, but I remember, like, I was out of baseball for five or ten years, and I was at a carnival where they you could get your arm on the, like, you do the, speed of the ball when you threw it. Uh-huh. I thought I'd throw the ball pretty good. 
I got a 67 on the radar gun. I said, that's wrong. I kept throwing it. I kept getting a 67. I said, forget it. Uh, yeah, the guy had his finger over the laser. I still right? think it was wrong. It way. has to be. Has it's to not, be. you know, you know, it's, you know, you lose it pretty fast. Yeah. Now, you pitched the game in Fenway Park, and I believe it was 79, and you had a no-hitter going into, what, the seventh or eighth inning? I had a no-hitter going into the sixth inning, and, um... That was back when Howard Cosell was doing a broadcast. And, that was a Monday night game, that's yeah, right. And uh, I remember uh, Butch Hobson had a line drive back in my face. And I just went like this and got it. Howard jumped in and goes, hey, look at that big guy. He's got the reflexes of a blonde board, the tennis player. <laughs> and I'm going, I saw that later. But anyway, the no-hitter ended on a... On what, a did you record it on beta or VHS? Yeah, yeah, it should have been recorded, but I didn't. I wasn't doing that back oh, then. Okay. Before that time. And I uh, really wish I had some recordings, but don't. Um, but anyway, it ended on a... On a Carlton Fisk hit one of those pot flies down the right field line where you right field your first base and everybody converges on it and just drops right in the middle of them. The Bermuda, it was Bermuda nobody's fault. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just a Texas leaguer or whatever, a blooper, whatever you want to call it. So I think after that, we were ahead nine to nothing. I think after that, I gave up three runs. I was done. You know, it was very hot, humid day. So the wind came out of my cells when I gave up the hit. So. So is that what happened? You gave up that hit, so it's like, ah, just... No, me... you know, you don't think about that on the mound, but suddenly I just wasn't as good, you know? And Or maybe it was just the timing. It was late in the game. It was a hot night. I was just getting exhausted anyway already, probably. It was very humid. I do remember that. So after that, you know, anyway, I wasn't in the game much longer for whatever reason. And talk about home runs. Uh, you were, we were talking before this yeah, started. Didn't somebody I, uh, uh, smoke one off you? Yeah, I used to. I was pretty much an overhand pitcher, but every once in a while I'd drop down to a sidearm, either a fastball or a slider. It usually worked pretty good. But uh, that night I threw one to a guy named Jim Rice, for those of you who've been around a while. A big, strong guy. He hit, favorite, that, right? yeah, he, he hit that ball sort of far over the green monster that, you know, it just disappeared into the darkness very quickly. Kind of like you're talking about Ohani, Otani. Same thing, man. It was just gone in a heartbeat. But uh, anyway, yeah, it I, happens. It was a, gosh, when was it? Was that 79 or 86? That might have been 86 when he uh, went back on a fly ball. Gary Pettis or Devon White hit. And uh, there was no way he saw it because the sun was, was shining that time of day and I know he just stuck his glove up and, and, and caught it. Is that right? Yeah. That's luck. Yeah. yeah. That's luck. Sometimes that's better. Yeah. Yeah, right. Now coming back here to, to Long Beach, you went to Millican High School. Millican, yeah. And Long Beach City College, right? Went, went to City. And, and um, played basketball and baseball. Played right? basketball and baseball. Actually back at that time I was better at basketball and um, we won the state were you championship. Number four, were you, were you a power forward or? I was actually small? a center. You know, oh, okay. Center. I was a six foot six center. You know, if you were six eight back then in the in the city college level, you were like huge. So I was about the normal size for a center. But, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. yeah. So, but I got to play for Lou Olson, which was a real good deal for me. I learned a lot from him and. Probably one of the best, you know, I think maybe the two best coaches I had were Lute Olson and a guy named Joe Hicks, who was the baseball coach in Long Beach City. 
you know, I went all the way through the rest of my career. I really didn't have anybody that was any better than those two guys. And people don't remember Joe Hicks, but he was as good a baseball coach as Lou Olson was as basketball. No kidding. Joe Hicks went. He retired finally. He went on to. Uh, he retired early because he he noticed how the character of young people were changing, and he was a very authoritarian baseball coach. And he realized that he wasn't going to be able to continue that. So he got out and he formed the Diamond Baseball Company. And Diamond Baseballs are all over the country now. In the college level, in a college summer ball. I don't know, maybe the minors now too. I don't know, but there's a huge multi-million dollar baseball industry. Wow. And he's formed that after he got out of coaching. He's a pretty capable man. I guess so. And then <coughs> you went on to Stanford. Right. Did you have any offers from the local Pac-10 schools? Well, schools? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of offers. Uh, I could have played at Long Beach State for Tarkanian. Uh, he went to, he took me to lunch in a little dark, dingy place. <laughs> and I said, well, this is why you've got that reputation. <laughs> and, uh, Probably AI, right? Yeah, there, I'm not sure. Uh, it was actually a, it's a taco place. That, uh, it's over on the south of the shop. It used to be a piano bar. But they had all the red upholstery and everything. Oh, man. Anyway, it served lunch and dinner. But uh, I just wanted to, well, two things. I wanted to get away from home for whatever reason, a lot of reasons, I guess. And I wanted to play two sports. In uh, Stanford, most people just wanted me to play basketball. You know, they, okay. they weren't interested in baseball. Stanford said, you know, we'll play baseball, fine. They didn't have that big of a deal with, you know, the sports weren't that important there to them. I mean, relatively speaking, they're like USC or something. Right. So. So that's where I went, and it worked out well because I had baseball ended up being the deal for me, even though basketball was a lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah. So what? That, uh, Maples <coughs> Maples Arena, Maples Center Pavilion. Pavilion. Maples Pavilion has that floor that's on springs or rockers right, or whatever. Right, right. And when you're broadcasting a game from courtside. Sounds sounds like a carnival ride that's going to fall apart. What's it like to play on that thing? Well, you know, even to practice on it, when you first get there, you kind of notice it because somebody can pound their foot like 40 <laughs> yards away and you'll feel a little vibration, you know? It's like a bunch of miniature earthquakes. And, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of a kick, but, you know, you get so used to it, you don't even think about it anymore. I thought maybe it would improve my jumping, but not really. No, yeah. it doesn't make you jump. <laughs> no, it didn't, didn't put me in the stratosphere. But it did get you a, a Stanford degree, right? Yeah, yeah. That that was a good thing. Um, what was that in? In political science. The only problem with a degree from any school, I think, is Stanford maybe particularly should have really been helpful, but I didn't do anything with work until I was 35, you know, so you get off that track, sure. you know, they want you, you know, they want you to go to college and then maybe back back in Europe for a year at the most, then you get into school or then you get into the workforce and you, you get on that train. And if you if you come at 35, it's like, they don't know what to do with you, so it never really, it never really meant much to me. And then went back and got a master's in psychology and worked in the counseling field for most of my life. Okay. Yeah. And was that locally here in the yeah, Long Beach never, area? No, more like guy office in Garden Grove. Okay. Yeah. But still, in, yeah, yeah locally, in this yeah. area. Yeah. yeah, more like by AM Stadium. One place actually was right across the street. Okay. Well, yeah. for a lot of those years, I'm sure that it was full if they were Angel fans. And yeah. A lot of anxiety. 
That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's got to be pretty fulfilling. What what made you want to go into that field? Well, I think originally I wanted to uh, for myself. Okay, I got done playing baseball. I thought I would be fine. I thought it would be a nice adjustment. I had a good job waiting for me in Chicago as a commodities trader. Ooh, wow. And uh, anyway, looking forward to it, the whole nine yards. And I don't know, it just wasn't the same as going to the park, you know, and playing baseball. And I remember the first time I went to a game there was at, at uh, Wrigley Field to watch the Cubs play. It seemed like it lasted for eight hours. It's like I just, it was killing me, you know. And, Suddenly I realized I really missed it, you know, really missed it way more than I thought I would. Ooh, I love a good cliffhanger. But it's time to take a break and we'll find out what Dave Frost did to get over his anxiety of not playing baseball anymore. We'll be back with more after this. House of Fire Productions is a proud partner of Lunch with Legends. Learn more at houseoffireproductions.com. Hey, it's Lou. Do you have a family or a property or both that needs financial protection if, God forbid, something happens to you? If something does happen to you, would your mortgage be paid off? Do you have up to 10 years of income socked away somewhere so your family can keep that beautiful house and lifestyle you've worked so hard for and keep it away from the tax man? And what if you get critically, chronically, or terminally ill? Hey, even though you're gone, the bills still keep coming in waves. I know, my wife and I weren't properly protected when she died of cancer in 2012, and I'm still treading water in bills. Give us a call at WFG World Financial Group. We represent 160 life insurance, long-term care insurance, and annuity companies around the country. And you know, I really love what Transamerica, North American, and One America products offer. Let us build you a safe future. You worked hard for it, so don't be a dummy. Protect your family and your assets. And you know how to do it? You can call me or my beautiful stepdaughter, Cassidy Eden, right now at 562-266-7024 now so we can get started today. That's 562-266-7024. WFG for your future. 562-266-7024. A-S-E Media. Hey, it's Lou and... uh Wait, wait, what? What What are you doing? Are you still drinking recycled filtered tap water from that ecological nightmare plastic bottle that you're paying way, way too much for? And with COVID seemingly never going away, are you still spending thousands on antibacterial and cleaning products that also make it hard to breathe? <coughs> Turn your tap water into healthy drinking and cooking alkaline and electrolyte infused water, cleaning water, and antibacterial water. Yep, I said antibacterial water. With the Kangen home water system, imagine how much money you'll be saving on cleaning products, wipes, sanitizers, and plastic waste from those containers and water bottles. And not only will you be saving money, but you'll be saving lives, our lives, and lives in the ocean. You don't want to kill any more dolphins and whales because with the Kangen water system, all those varieties of water are right at your fingertips at home. With the Kangen water system, there'll be no more emergency runs to the store because you ran out of whatever it is you're using to clean, disinfect, and drink. 
And if you're sensitive to those caustic antibacterial products, invest in a Kangen. The cleaning water is tough enough to kill mold, but there's a setting for water gentle enough to clean and moisturize your skin. If you love the benefits of alkaline and electrolyte-infused water that's filtered by reverse osmosis, invest in a Kangen home water system. Get a Kangen for your business. Provide your clients with the benefit of clean surfaces without caustic, irritating chemicals and give them healthy drinking water. It makes a great marketing tool, too. I have a Kangen water system at home, and I can't imagine my life without one. Give my friend Michael Landa a call right now at 714-931-0059. The Kangen Home Water System, 714-931-0059. Lou continues with Dave Frost. And, uh, you know, part of the what you miss is the camaraderie and the locker room and all that hanging around. And sure. Just the whole thing, the competitiveness. And, you know, and suddenly and it, it was gone. What's that? It keeps you young. Yeah, yeah, and all that. And, and suddenly it was gone, and I'm thinking, well, I had a degree, I had a job waiting for me, I was ready to move on, and I'm still miserable. So I started thinking, if I'm miserable, there's a lot of other guys that are equally miserable or more miserable trying to transition from sports to real life. So I went back, got a counseling degree, thought maybe I could work with athletes and transition from sports to real life. But so like a sports psychologist now? Well, yeah, that, that was, psychology is a little different in that they, they try to help you be a better player. You okay. Know, that's the concept. I was more helping you make the transition, you know, having to go from one thing to another thing and, and that was a hard deal for a lot of people. For a lot of guys to yeah. become a human being again. Yeah, you know, what is my purpose if I'm not a baseball player or a football player or whatever? You, know, you have to get a new identity and a new meaning. And you're in your 30s or 40s. Yeah, it doesn't happen to most people. Most people just stay on that same track until they're 60. You know, baseball, you get all the way to the top and then you get dropped like a hot rock. Yeah, football, you're yeah. probably still in your 20s and you're out. Yeah, it's all the same. The same thing for every sport. Now what? Kind of a now what? Yeah, and, uh, it's it's difficult. Now, well, to, guys, being a, a trader on the board of commodity, or, uh, yeah, board of commodities in Chicago. That's, that's well, that was not competitive. Part. Yeah, no, that was competitive, but it still wasn't the same. I think part of it was uh, I wasn't the world's greatest commodities trader, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't like that because you're so used to being the best at what you do. Sure, and that's another problem. You get done, and then you got to go start somewhere else, and you're a novice, and you just got to work your way up. Which a lot of athletes don't have a problem with that because they're competitive, but it's still different than being the best to suddenly starting over. It's an adjustment, definitely yeah, an adjustment. Yeah. And then, obviously, you had to realize that baseball was a business. Yeah. So that that probably had to be a a, a wake up call. Yeah, you know, I knew it. I knew it was a business. I'd been released like five times by the time I finally was done playing. And, uh, you know, it was all about are you healthy? What have you done lately? My agent called me up the last time I'd been released. The fifth time, I still wanted to keep playing. And he called me up, David Sloan, and he, uh, he said, Hey, Dave, he said, I just got done talking to Minnesota. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, what'd they say? You know, I'm like, maybe something good's going to happen. He goes, I mentioned your name, and the general manager, he said, he said, Frost, Frost. Well, that guy, he'd get hurt looking in a mirror. <laughs> and I said, David, we're done. 
Is oh it? I'm officially gosh. retired. Because I know if he felt like that, they were all felt like that. And I had been hurt a lot. I've been on the DL, arm surgery, knee surgery, you know. And after a while, they just say, you know, it's too damaged. They, they put your age together with your injuries and they do a little formula that says goodbye. Is the end of it. Wow, kind of like a car. Yeah, that's just how it works. Wow. Wow, wow. So what was, I, I probably know the answer, but what was your highlight of your major league career? Um, well, winning that division, individual highlights, um, I don't know exactly. You know, a lot of games are fun. Um, I think, uh, gosh, what is the highlight of my career? It's really kind of hard to say. I mean, basically just winning the division. It was so much fun and coming out of nowhere, and I and I participated in that. And uh, I think another highlight would have been that you know the next year Nolan Ryan was gone because he uh, Buzzy Bevacy didn't want to pay him, so he went to Houston, got a million dollars, first guy to get a million. And uh, so anyway, I, yeah, hard too. yeah. So anyway, I was opening day pitcher in 1980. Oh, okay. And that was kind of a thrill. That's a That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I got my name on the mound there in a brick, you know, for all the opening okay, day pitchers. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that yeah. because in front of the Big A, um, there's two large red hats, and then there's like a brick infield, yeah. an outfield, brick, yeah. a brick diamond, and in front of the pitching rubber, or what would be the pitching rubber are bricks with pitchers' names on. Well, I know that some of these ball players that are that are on that on those bricks are too cheap to buy a brick. So <laughs> but their names are on there, so those are all the, the opening day pitchers. Yeah. I think they got a bunch of them at second base and at shortstop. Okay. Opening days at those positions. I think. I'm not positive, but now, I think so. Now see now that I work for the Angels radio station, yeah. Yeah. I know less about the Angels than I did when I didn't work for them. Go figure, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm glad that you opened. I'm glad that you uh, said that because yeah. I was waiting for our crew, uh, Stevie and Dylan. I want to thank them for uh, Stevie and Dylan Productions coming out here and, and uh, trying something new for Lunch with Legends. But as I was waiting for them to show up on July 4th, okay. I, was, I saw these names on the pictures message. Well, I know that guy didn't pay for the brick, yeah. and I know that guy did not pay for it, and that guy probably borrowed money from that guy to pay for the brick. It's true. Um, yeah, getting, um, yeah, well, I don't know. That's all I can say. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. But then coming up from uh, the, the, the minors to the bigs, no more or a lot less bus trips, probably, for you. What was, yeah. what was uh, one of your well, craziest minor league travel stories? Um, well, I was in the Southern League and we would travel to all these towns like Savannah and Birmingham and Montgomery and Knoxville. We traveled all through the South and it was, uh, those bus rides were pretty tough in midnight till 7 or 8 the next morning. And we did that a lot and we'd be in the middle of nowhere. You know, seriously, we, I remember, you know, 2 or two o'clock in the morning driving down some back road and uh, Ku Klux Klan guys out there having a fire, you know, off the road, not too far away. Wow. And it's some of these really, you know, Mississippi, some of the places we went through. This is even in the 70s, huh? This is in the 70s, yeah. Wow. Just a couple times I saw that. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's a different, different life. But minor league ball was kind of fun because uh, you were all together all the time. You really got to know each other. You know, there was nowhere to go, you know? You go to these towns and there was a... 
There's a waffle shop and a little restaurant there. Oh, the waffle house. Yeah, you know, a, a two-story yeah. motel. And you knew when you were getting to your place because you see those buildings. <laughs> so this is where we're going to stay. So you do everything together. And it was kind of fun. You get to the basement. The major leagues is a little more. Game's right. over. Everybody like scatters. You know? yeah, 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 exactly. I do miss the Waffle House, though. They weren't bad. They're not complaining. Yeah, they were good. But the older the Waffle House, the better, because the grill was was uh, uh, just the right amount of grease. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The right amount of cigarette ash too from, oh, dude, from the guy doing terrible, the. Uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> like that get hanging out of his mouth, you know. Yeah, we'd be betting who's when's that ash gonna fall off into uh -huh. the hash browns. There you go. What's Do the over under on that? Yeah, we'll let you play with it. <laughs> And then getting back here, uh, a lot of guys from the area, Millican, uh, St. Anthony's, Polly, Wilson, went on to the bigs. Well, you, you played with uh, Bobby Gritch. Did you ever play against him or with him around here? You know, he was older than me. Jeff Burroughs was a couple of years older than me. Ed Crosby was older than me. Um, Dennis Lamp. Lamp was playing... I don't know. He might have signed out of high school, and he was in. A, he was over in Orange County. Yeah, Los Al. <laughs> we never played Los, Los, Los Al. So even the Long. Or did he go to Bosco? Yeah, St. John okay. Bosco. There may have been a lot of baseball players out of Long Beach, but uh, I'm just trying to think of my year who ended up playing in the big leagues from the Moore League. And there probably was somebody, but it's not. I'm not catching uh, in my head right now. It's not that easy, you know, to get in there. And there aren't that many guys that uh, do it at the same time you're doing it. There are a lot of guys that do it over a period of time, uh -huh. you know. But, uh, yeah, 1970 guys in the big leagues from, from the Moore League. It's a good question. Yeah. I should know. But we'll I have to look that up. <laughs> Maybe I should have done my yeah. homework. But, yeah. uh, well, me too. But, you know, yeah. this is all about Dave Frost well, here. Dave Frost, our you. guest Thank on Lunch you. with Legends. We're here at Glory Days in Lakewood. And um, uh, boy, just thrilled to have you here. The, the, you didn't remember this, I didn't expect you to remember this, but I, when I saw you at Phil Trainings um, the other night for uh, the celebration for John Gonsalves, the uh, coach from Long Beach State who passed away from COVID, um, I invited you through the Angels, uh, Tim Mead and Eric Kay, and um, I used to get sports uh, celebrities from different teams in the area to come to these uh, veterans, uh, uh, California Disabled Veterans Business Alliance events on Memorial Day and uh, um, Veterans Day. Okay. And you, you were nice enough to come to one, it might have been in Garden Grove at the Hyatt there, or either there or Burbank. I think I went to Burbank one time. I don't think it was a veteran's thing, so it was probably Garden yeah. Grove. But we had uh, uh, two two ballrooms, three ballrooms set up, and there were the uh, we probably had a couple of thousand people wow. and round tables, veterans and active military sitting at tables. Then we'd have uh, entertainment celebrities and sports celebrities, like one each at each table. And I do remember that you did come, and I was really appreciative of that. Yeah, well, I did so many things for the Angels back then, and uh, a lot of it was good stuff like that. And uh, 
It was great. I really loved that. I loved being on uh, part of the Speakers Bureau and, and, and representing the club and, and the community. So are you doing anything now with the Angels? Well, I or? haven't done anything for them for a while. They, uh, unfortunately, they dropped the Speakers Bureau or they, they limited the number of people in the Speakers Bureau a few years back. I think when they got uh, Hamilton and Pools and they, you know, billion dollars all of a sudden gone. And I think they, we used to have about eight guys and then it went down to, uh, I think it was just Bobby Gritch, Finley, and Clyde Wright. Okay. So that was when I was no longer with the Speakers Bureau and a few other guys. So. I know Clyde's still running around. He's still he's still on the Speaker's Bureau, I'm sure, and Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bobby was uh, head of community relations for a while. I don't know if he's uh -huh. still doing that. Yeah. I think it I think it interfered with his golf game. So. It might have. Yeah. He's not, he's not gonna let that out. <laughs> but what are you doing now? What are you Well I'm semi retired right now. Um, you know, I, I still wish I could do more in, in the sports uh, world. I I used to write articles for the uh, Orange County Register yeah, on sports and family issues. And I think the kind of format we have right here, you know, it's like we're talking about baseball, but I'd like to have even my own podcast or maybe possibly a, uh, a radio program, you know, for a half hour, an hour, right? There's so many things to talk about in this whole arena of sports and family. Well, let's see what we can do. We'll okay. work on that. Okay. You and I will talk right. about it and yeah, I mean, stay in touch. Just for one thing, just off the top of my head, uh, there's so many things. But <laughs> I had an idea when you, when, you, when you grow up, when I grew up, kids played in the neighborhood, and we, we learned a lot of things about life because uh, play is a prerequisite for work. So we got to do all that stuff. We'd pick teams and solve our own, our own disputes. We'd, have a leader, have the followers, it all just kind of happened naturally. But when you play on a little league team or any team now, you don't have any choices. Coaches tell you everything, you don't play in the street anymore, you're just kind of a robot in that sense. Right. So I think if I was a, a coach of a minor league team, about every fourth practice I would try to just let them be on their own and say, you guys organize the practice. We'll watch from the stands and we'll help you if you need some help. So they'd probably just stand around not knowing what to do. You know, <laughs> someone's going to tell me what to do, but you know, when we were kids, we just figured out what to do. You yeah. know, and it was and it was helpful. You know, so right, stuff yeah. like that. Just there's so many differences now. And we learned uh, that you can't slide an asphalt. That was the one you learned quick, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, those are the days. Yeah, no kidding. So would you do that in a uh, say like have a guy? Say so here, you make out the lineup and you do the pitching changes and all that. Well, it probably wouldn't be that complicated. It would be more just kind of, you know, make a lineup, you know, pick your teams. You know, there's not going to be any umpire, so you got to just make your own decision on if you're out or safe. And you can tell when you're playing first base. You can hear the ball click yeah. and your foot hitting the bag. You know if you're safe or out. So, you know, you learn how to be honest. You learn how to not be honest, you know. And, you know, you don't have to make it too complicated, but just give them a chance to just uh, figure it out for themselves, to play. Right. You know, that's a problem. Play disappeared. Now it's also serious. And kids get burned out because they, they don't, it's not play, it's hard work, and it's serious, and there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, the money, the college scholarship, and some kids just burn out by the time they're 13. Exactly. You know, they're gone. Exactly. Yeah, I see bad. that. I see that a lot. Yeah. So, were you always a pitcher, or did you... Oh, you know, the old little thing, I was pitcher shortstop, you know, that's okay, how it worked. Okay, best athlete, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
But no, once I got uh, to high school, that was just strictly pitching. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what do you think about you, 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 guys that are getting into the major leagues, and they say, well, I'm a right fielder. I can't play left field, or I can't play center field, or I can't play first base. Like, really? I well, don't know. You know, if I get into the major leagues, you're a baseball player. I get into, if I get into the major leagues, I play wherever they tell me to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't give them that. I, just, I can't imagine that the coach would be saying, "You can't play right field." Okay, we send you back to AAA. You yeah. know, none but, of that. but you hear that, and, and it's like, <coughs> wait a minute, what's the guy been doing? Yeah, so, it's like, who are you to, to say that you can't play a particular position? Well, I'm the manager, and we're the coaches, and. The organization has decided you can play this position and you play it. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. All right. Well, and, and just a couple more things about the, some of the new rules since COVID, like the extra inning rule where they put a guy on second. What do you think of that? Oh, that's an interesting rule. Um, when I was, I used to work at the Urban Youth Academy in Compton, which is a Major League Baseball sponsor. Like you sure can. Yeah, right here. But. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we would always go to Phoenix for some big tournament, and they had those rules there. So I went through it a few times. It's kind of interesting, but I don't know. It's, it's so much different than regular baseball. Yeah. You put you 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 create a situation that that should should happen naturally, and something that is that is put everybody in a certain oh one out runners on first and second whatever something like that, and then they go from there. Yeah, it's like I, I think it's kind of weird, but it, for the fans, it's probably interesting because it's new and different. It goes back to the guy from Denmark. You got eight balls. <laughs> eight balls. <laughs> Twelve balls. You go to third. <laughs> right. And then just one more thing about the rules. Yeah. I, it kind of irks me a little bit. I'm gonna tell you, you're a rules guy. You the whole thing about it. Yeah. yeah. The, the double headers now are seven innings. Right. Madison Bumgarner goes seven innings, gets a no hit, but he doesn't get a credit for a no hitter. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't know that. No, that doesn't sound right. I mean, if they want to speed up the game, there's other ways to do it rather than taking two innings off. You know, I mean, how long it takes between pitches is still the big one. And there's no reason for guys to spend that much time on the mound waiting for, you know, between pitches. Right. But, um, now I played in the old days where we had a guy named Wilbur Wood, speaking of double headers, he was a knuckleball pitcher and he'd start both, he'd start both, he'd pitch both games. <laughs> so the arm would get sore. It's like throwing darts, little little knuckleballs. <laughs> it was too funny. Oh man. Yeah. So did you play with Bill Naharadni? Bill Naharadni, yeah, he was on my team. Okay. I mean, he was in, in. Yeah, he was there for the month I was in the big leagues with them. I am big, big friends with him on Facebook. Is that right? Tell me your Naharad, a Naha story. I didn't know him well enough. You know, we're talking '76. Okay. '77, and I was only there for a month. Okay. Know. I tell you about Bart Johnson, but uh, you know, it was my first day there. It's a good story. My first day with the White Sox. They tell me to go down to the bullpen. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm just there, the rookie first day, and I'm, I'm down in the bullpen. And this guy named Bart Johnson is kind of a flake. Uh, he was another pitcher down there, and you know, midway through the game, in the game, he's starting to play with his hand. He's had handcuffs the whole game. That he borrowed from an off-duty policeman. He's goofing around with his handcuffs, and you know, next thing you know, he, he's got one on my wrist, and the next one's attached to the fence in the bullpen. And I'm going, Dave, this is not good. Sorry about that time the phone rings. Did you go, Frost? Get loose. Um, you know, I'm, Bart Johnson's like, 
Looking for the key. You can't find the key. Oh no. So I'm trying to jerk this thing loose and finally he gets the key and I throw him aside and I'm trying to find my glove to go up the steps to get loose to go in the game and pitcher coach yells over at me, Frost. Just kidding. So <laughs> The whole thing was a setup for the, oh for the new gosh. guy, but it worked pretty good. Hook, line, and sinker. Absolutely. Definitely. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's funny. Well, we could do this all day long. Absolutely, we could. The we last could. thing I'd like you to do sure. is I'm starting a new tradition here on Lunch with Legends. All right. And that's for my guests to uh, sign, start signing a ball here. So you will be, as soon as I can get this, there it goes. All right. You will be the first to sign our guest book. On oh, a, how about that? Official Major League Baseball. Well, for those of you who don't know, the manager signs here, so I won't sign there. Oh, if you ever get a manager on here, that's where he'll sign. Maybe we can get Buck Rogers. There you go. Look at you signed that ball like you've done this before. You know, my handwriting is so bad from doing nothing but signing balls for ten years <laughs> that when I went to graduate school and I had to write an essay for one of the tests, the teacher said, "Next time you bring a." You bring a, a, a laptop and you, you type your answers. Couldn't read them. Oh, I man. couldn't read them either. Oh, I'd lost my handwriting just going like that for so many years. Anyway. All right, Dave. Well, thank you very much. How can we get a hold of you? And, and is there anything you want to plug? Anything? Uh, I don't have any you? particular charities or anything like that. I just, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I got an email. If anybody's interested in me to come talk about anything to do with sports or uh, just entertainment in general and telling stories, okay. that's david.frost, david.frost37 at gmail.com. Okay. So, well, we'll put keep that those on. cards and letters coming. All right, buddy. Play <laughs> Dave you, Frost, Luke. former major leaguer, not one just. He pitched in the major leagues. I, I hate that former thing. You're a major leaguer. Always a major leaguer. That's Once right. you're there, you're always there. That's right. That's major leaguer, pitched for the Angels, helped them gain the 1979 American League West Championship. And uh, boy, what a great time this has been here. Yeah. Glory days in Lakewood. Good memories. Thanks for bringing so many neat, neat things up. Great, great. Okay. And for Dylan and Stevie, Thank them very much, and also Glory Days and Coach RT. I'm Lou Stam for Jimmy Flame, big game Jimmy Flame. Can't forget him, he's the heart and soul of Lunch with Legends. And I'm Lou Stowers, telling you until next time, so long. Lunch with Legends is a production of ASE Media, produced by Lou Stowers and Jimmy Flame. Executive producer, Maxine Stowers, brought to you by World Financial Group. Don't be a dummy, protect your family and your assets. Call World Financial Group today at 562-266-7024. And Kangen Water Systems. Invest in a Kangen today. Call Michael Landa at 714-931-0059. Lunch with Legends. <laughs>